Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for a beautiful worship today. I was back there changing the baptistry, hearing you sing Jesus as Lord was so powerful, as echoing throughout the building. Before we get to our text in 1 Samuel 15, for just a moment, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. It's so fitting on Mother's Day that we're actually studying the character and going through the, the book of Samuel because you remember that Hannah didn't have a child and and. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11, she asked the Lord to remember her, and she says, if you remember me, look at the end of, of verse 11, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. God, if you will bless me with a child, then I will give that child, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. Isn't every mother Hannah? Isn't every child a blessing from God? And don't we give all of our children back to God? Turn over to chapter 15. We find ourselves in this sermon series from 1 Samuel. I want to focus on chapter 22 for just a moment, but we'll be looking at various verses in this, this book. 15:22. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Today, I'm going to give you the secret of discipleship. If you'll listen to this message closely today, you'll hear from the prophet of God, from Samuel himself. What is at the very heart of being close to God, at the very essence of following Jesus, Sometimes we miss the mark, don't we? Sometimes we slide past the simple. I've made an observation over the years that there is an insatiable desire amongst God's people, and this is a good thing, to be closer to the Father, to know Christ better. It's a wonderful thing. Unfortunately, beside that desire to have a deeper discipleship, to know Christ more fully, Beside that desire is I've noticed within us that we will do anything and everything but what God asks us to do to get that deeper fellowship. There seems in the Christian life to be an unending parade of new conference leaders and new preachers and seminars and books and retreats. Sometimes people who will go to church 20, 30, 40 years and want to go to an out-of-town conference to read a new book by a new author because they are seeking that one secret, that one thing they haven't discovered in church that will make her, that will make him really close to God. The problem, of course, is they're sort of like minors following a gold rush, at the end of the day, you end up with no gold or fool's gold. I bet you've never done it before, but sometimes I have actually been looking for my eyeglasses when they're on the top of my head. Have you ever done that? How foolish do you feel? Has anybody seen my glasses? I don't know where my glasses are. I've looked everywhere for my glasses. And somebody just starts giggling because your glasses are on the top of your head. Sometimes we can miss the thing that is right before us, before us, the thing that is so obvious. 
I fear in modernity that our search for that secret to discipleship has caused us to miss the plain and simple, to miss the Word of God. Now, this desire, this insatiable desire to find that secret to discipleship is not anything that's new. In fact, all the way back in the early centuries of Christianity, the very first centuries of Christianity, there was a group who thought that they had a special knowledge. And because they had this special knowledge, that they were closer, in fact, to following Christ. In fact, the early church ha had a word for this. It was called Gnosticism, and they had a word for those who were trying to seek the secret, this special knowledge, and the word for them was a heretic. The Gnostics were the earliest heretics that were in search of that extra secret, that extra code, that extra knowledge, rather than thus saith the Lord God Almighty. What we find out this morning in 1 Samuel is your Sunday school teacher has been giving you all the information you need for the last several decades. Following God is a dynamic relationship between creator and creation through our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, and it is accomplished by obedience to His commandments. We are saved by God's grace, thank goodness to be sure, but we are drawn closer to God's side by being an obedient child. Our story today begins in chapter 15 and verse 1. Look at the word. The word comes across. Listen. Look at the end of verse 1. Listen to the words of the Lord. The key to being close to God is listening and obeying. It's as simple as that. Look at verse 2. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself up against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him. Put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now I know the whole ethical issue of a holy war is a holy war is a hard thing for us to digest today, and we won't chase that issue. But the Amalekites were long-standing enemies of Israel. They are distantly related through Esau, the descendant. As Israel was leaving on the Exodus, as they were escaping Egypt by the power and might of God, the Amalekites came behind them and attacked those who were weary, those who were falling behind. They were terrorists, and they were harsh against the Israelites. In fact, in Deuteronomy 25, don't turn to it for time's sake, but listen to the word of the Lord. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way? When you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked you among all the stragglers, your rear, and when you were faint and weary, he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies and the land which your Lord God gives you as inheritance possessed, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget, God is saying. The Amalekites were a semi-nomadic people. They're portrayed as terrorists who t attacked the weak as they had Israel as she escaped Egypt. 
Because of their cowardly attack on an unsuspecting nation, Israel and the Exodus, God had a score to settle with the Amalekites, and Saul was to be, the king was to be the measure. It was time to go after the Amalekites in this holy war. In fact, he was to destroy everything, even their animals, God says. Wipe them off the face of the earth. In fact, the, the words utterly destroy or totally destroy are used eight times in this passage. It was very clear what God wanted Saul to do. I want you to totally or to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Well, look what he says in verse 7. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people at the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. What Samuel's going to say to Saul is this. Partial obedience is no obedience at all. Partial obedience is no obedience at all. He spared Agag. He wasn't supposed to spare Agag. He spared the good animals, the healthy animals, the animals of monetary value, and those despised and weak he destroyed. He did not follow the command of God. Did God say to Saul, hey, keep all the good, good stuff for yourself, and all that is weak and despised, destroy? That's not what God said. Saul has neither listened nor obeyed. There are three ways that Saul responds when he's accused of disobedience. The first of all, he deflects, and then he justifies, and then he minimizes. He deflects, he justifies, and he minimizes. Look how, look how it progresses in, in verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has carried out my command, has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. All night, one of those restless nights for the prophet, he cries out all night because the king Saul has not been obedient to the command of God. He gets up the next morning, he runs to meet Saul. And I want you to notice what Saul says so quickly in verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. I've done it. I've been, I've been obedient. I've done everything that God asked me to do. I've got it accomplished, Saul says. That strikes me as odd. Samuel hadn't said anything about did you obey or did you not obey. He hasn't asked the question, why is it that Saul is so strong to say, I've been obedient to the Lord, indeed, because he has not been obedient? In the background, there begins to be 
the baa, the baa of sheep, the the lowing of the oxen. And so Samuel asked, verse 14, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and this lowing of oxen that I hear? If you've kept the command of God, if you've done everything that God has asked you to do, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep? Why do I hear the lowing of oxen? If you utterly or totally destroyed, as I ask you to do, why do I hear the sounds of animals? A cow mooed and called him a liar. A cow mooed and called him a liar. Once upon a time, there's a little boy who wanted to get his mother a Mother's Day gift. He wanted to get her a cookie jar, and he went into the store that carries all the cookie jars and the kitchen uh, paraphernalia, and he asked about the cookie jars, and she said, well, we've got tall ones, and we've got short, wide ones, and we've got colorful ones, and we have got some that are white. We've got all sorts of cookie jars, but she couldn't determine what he was trying to find. He didn't seem interested in tall or short or colorful or plain. He went and he opened every lid of every cookie jar up and down the row, and finally he said, don't you have any that don't make noise when you close them? Sometimes it's the noise that gives us away. Sometimes it's the sheep that won't shut up when you need them to be quiet. Sometimes it's the lowing of the oxen when you need the oxen to lay low. Surely you've noticed your dog always barks at the wrong time. The minute you answer the telephone, they start almost as if on command. First of all, he deflects this accusation, Saul does. He begins to accuse the others. Look at verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep. What have you done, Saul, that you've not been obedient to my command? And Saul deflects, number one, they, the people, meaning the soldiers, the army, they, the people, spared. They, the people, not me, they spared. The cows wouldn't participate in the cover-up. They made the noise. But he deflects. They, the people. Verse 17. No, says Samuel, this is what the Lord told me last night concerning you. You were little in your own eyes. I made you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission. Verse 18, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight? Of the Lord. Not only does he deflect, the second thing he does, he tries to justify. Look at verse 21, he repeats this kind of language again. But the people took some of the spoils, sheep and oxen, notice why? To sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, yeah, we did everything that God asked us to do. We totally destroyed the Amalekites. 
oh, oh, we wanted to sacrifice to God, so we didn't want to waste any sheep. We wanted to give them directly to God, and so we spared some of the really good animals, the good sheep and the good oxen. We, we spared them, and oh, and I brought Agag, the king, along, but other than that, other than that, we utterly destroyed the enemies of God. He brought Agag back almost as an act of cruelty, as a trophy of his own personal triumph in front of the people. Yeah, that's it. I kind of get the idea that Samuel would surely be an intimidating man to face. You can, you can imagine that. And here comes Saul, king or no king. He's already been reprimanded by the prophet, and now he's about to get it again. So he's stuttering and he's stammering, and the sheep keep making noise, and the cows keep making their noise, and there's the sound of guilt in the air. Well, well we, we did, 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 did everything God, God wanted us to do. Well, we did spare Agag, but then we wanted to make some sacrifices, and Samuel's not buying any of it because... Partial obedience is no obedience is all. Look at verse 22. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrificing as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Here's a, a third thing he did. Not only did he deflect and justify, but then he began to minimize. Look at verse 24 and 25. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and I listened to their voice. Yes, he says I have sinned, but only because he's in a corner and there's no other way out, you see. He's not confessing like the next king David will confess in the future when he sins. It is contrived. It is not contrite. It is not heartfelt. Now, Samuel is saying, it's no big deal. I did sin. I feared the people. Now, come along and worship with me. In fact, as you read through the rest of the chapter, he's so desperate to have Samuel go with him before the people that he reaches out and grabs the robe of the prophet, and it rips. The prophet turns and says, just like that, the dynasty's been ripped from your family. He's desperate. It's no big deal. Let's go through the motions. Let's not make much of this. In fact, the only contrition, the only grieving, turn all the way to verse 35. It happens not with Saul, but with Samuel and with God. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. For Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted or grieved that he made Saul king of Israel. The only real grief happening here is the grief of the prophet and the God of the prophet over Saul. These chapters we were looking at, 13, 14, and 15, all in a row deal with the demise of the first king. In chapter 13, he loses his dynasty. Last week in chapter 14, because Jonathan became more popular with the people, he lost his popularity. And now in chapter 15, he even loses his own right to serve as king. Will Williman of Duke University says that we ourselves have psychologized the gospel. We've turned the gospel into a feeling. 
We rush off to the seminars and the discipleship camps. We're wanting a feeling. We're wanting a mood. And we've deluded ourselves into thinking that the Messiah is the great cosmic affirmer of all that we hold dear and all of our own selfish illusions. What we really want is we want God to bless who we already are rather than listen and be obedient to his commands. Bill Bright says, in traveling millions of miles to most every major country, this was his conclusion. He said, in 50 years, I have never met a happy, disobedient Christian. I have never met a happy, disobedient Christian. And likewise, he said, I have never met an unhappy, however dire his circumstances, I have never met an unhappy, obedient Christian. So there it is, the secret to discipleship. You want the secret to having the joy of the Lord? Hear and obey the commands of God. That old hymn written around 1900 captures the word so well. We will walk with the Lord in the light of his word. What a glory he sheds on our way. Let us do his good will. He abides with us still. Let us trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. God gives his commands for a reason. There's those times we wish that the cows would keep quiet and the cookie jars wouldn't clink so we could live our own way. And Saul admits he has feared the people more than he has feared God himself. Now, some of you may be saying, Pastor, that's the Old Testament, that obedience stuff. That's not the New Testament. Are you kidding me? Listen to the words in the New Testament. John 14, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loved me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Next chapter, John 15, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. It's not just Jesus in the fourth gospel. Listen to the Apostle Paul, the man of grace himself. Circumcision is nothing, 1 Corinthians 7, and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the commandments of God. There's the idea. We are saved by grace, but we fall in the love of God and enjoy fellowship with him as we are obedient. 1 John 2, 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Or, or harder still, 2, 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. Or Revelation 14. Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. We're always looking for a shortcut, aren't we? 
it's not just the Old Testament. It's not just old Samuel. It's Jesus. This is how they will know that you love me if you keep my commandments. This is how you'll have the joy of the Lord. Here's the secret. Keep my commandments. Well, we don't like that. So we want someone to write a book about a code or a secret, some special way to have a relationship with God. And the reality is your Sunday school teachers had it right all along. It is listening and obeying to the commands of God. There is no other way. We don't like the long way, do we? We've never been in a culture that likes short, shortcuts more than, than we do. We don't really want to read the book the, the teacher assigns. We want to read something called the Cliff Notes, don't we? Somebody give it to me. Don't act like you don't know what Cliff Notes are. <laughs> Somebody give me the, the page and a half version. I don't want to read all of that. As if the teacher hadn't read the Cliff Notes and knows exactly the discussion notes there. We don't really want to boil any potatoes. We'll just take fake flakes and put them in a pot and stir them up and say, man, I got you some mashed potatoes. That might be something, but that's not mashed potatoes, is it? We want the secret, shortcut, the fast, the easy. We are saved not by our own keeping of commandments because we can't keep all the commandments. We are saved by the grace of God. But once saved, we are to do all we can to listen and obey. God doesn't want our sacrifice. God wants our obedience. I came across a quote by Richard A. Schmidt, a St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Daphne, Alabama. He was, he was quoted in the Methodist Report as saying, God is less interested, I suspect, in our acts of obedience than in the pleasure of our company. Huh. God is less interested, I suspect, in our acts of obedience than in the pleasure of our company. That is diametrically opposed to what God's Word says. You are not so great that God must have your fellowship and company. He is so great that you must keep his commands. You see that? God does not delight in our sacrifice. When we keep the commands of God, we show God that we trust him. When Abraham is told to tie up Isaac and sacrifice him, he lifts, lifts the dagger and God says, Now I know you'll be obedient. If we're obedient to God, we show God that we love him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It shows our trust and our love. It shows our wisdom when we keep the commandments of God. For fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It shows that we're willing to walk in his way and not our way. By this, we know that we have truly come to know him if we keep his commands. Let us pray. God, forgive us. We are the people of shortcut. We want there to be another way, an easier way, that we could live the way we want to and live fully in your fellowship. 
The reality is that we're all sinners and none of us have kept all your commands and that's why we need your Jesus. But even as we know him, we don't take light his sacrifice and we do our best to hear and obey. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Maybe there's someone here this morning, even, oh God, who, who needs to come and say with a contrite heart, not contrived like Saul, I am a sinner and I truly need a Savior. I need the grace of God. Today would be his day or her day. Maybe there are others, oh God, who want to be a part of this fellowship that loves and serves and will hold forth your whole word. In the name of Jesus, we pray.